Hello, I am Steve and thank you very much for being here. Welcome to the Master Your Life podcast where I discuss topics related to this question. How can we unlock our inner potential and use the tools we have inside ourselves to move out of unhappiness and unfulfillment to create the life we have always dreamed of? And today, I don't know why I said it like that, I just wanted to share with you my experiences actually around being sectioned. Now, I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail about it in this episode. Um, I have just finished a chapter in my book actually of when, when I found myself in hospital for the very first time. And I just, I don't know, I just, I can't, I just, the reason why I'm doing this episode is because I. I want it to try and help somebody who's found themselves in a similar situation and they're now they're now out of hospital and they they're kind of they're living with maybe that quote unquote stigmatism of having been sectioned but mostly just to just to shed a bit of light of an individual's experience of being sectioned for the benefit of somebody who perhaps hasn't Maybe you're somebody who is a therapist and you talk to clients or um, service users, I don't know how you refer to them these days, um, about uh, all sorts of mental health issues. But maybe you could do with a little bit of an inside perspective uh, on somebody who can't stop talking sometimes, myself. Um, and I just wanted it to be a little bit more open and a little bit more uh, useful, actually, from from this from this side of the fence, um, having been sort of ten years out of out of hospital, out of rehab, and and all that stuff. So this would have been over ten years ago now, when I was taken in, um, and I was actually taken in. I do believe it was under Section One Three Six, which actually allows the police to take me. Or keep me at a place of safety. So that may be the uh, police station or or somewhere else. I don't know. They did, but they took me to a police station. I had a particularly bad episode with my mental health. So this was about 10 years ago. And uh, loud music, lots of screaming, lots of shouting, um, lots of commotion. And when the police attended, they found I was in a bit of a mess. So they took me in under section uh, three, sorry, 136. It gives them more power. So I wasn't necessarily arrested, but they had the power to take me in um, because I was, uh, I, I was, it was apparent I was, I was suffering from a, a mental health kind of uh, mental disorder. So they took me in to keep me safe and to keep others safe. And what happened there was, um, no, in fact, I'm going to go right back to, I'm going to, I'm going to start a little, we'll begin from the beginning. So a little bit of an understanding that I had of being sectioned is that it was quite a bad thing. People made fun of it. I had a foster carer, who, who would make fun of those who'd been sectioned. You know, the idea was that the men in the white coats would come and take you away. I know it's a very old-fashioned um, idea and it's a very old-fashioned kind of story and a feeling behind it. But that was my belief behind it and it was a bad thing. And once you've been sectioned, that was it. They are taking you off to the loony bin. That was another one of his fra- favourite phrases. Take you off to the loony bin um, and they'd watch you, or you know, all the time and you're like this, this mental case. They'd keep you in a padded room in a in a straight jacket 
Um, so really quite derogatory, not, not very nice, not very understanding kind of language and feelings and behavior around being being sectioned. I mean, I didn't even know why they called it sectioned. So there you go. That, that was a brief, my brief uh, exposure to this whole idea of being sectioned was. And I was maybe about, I don't know, 15 or 16. So that was my first understanding of it. So I find myself quite, quite ill one night, um, two or three o'clock in the morning. And uh, the police had come round, and they sort of say that I wasn't, I wasn't arrested, but I needed to come in. Um, and I was quite, you know, erratic. I can remember going into, uh, going into this, into the police station. I can remember going, being exercised, exercised. That sounds like something from The Exorcist. But I remember going into the exercise courtyard, is what I mean to say, where I, I just, I just, I, the only thing I can, I can, I can describe it as is it was like a mammoth kind of marathon epic panic attack i was like i was in this it wasn't a cage but i what it was a caged because people you know who were criminals couldn't just climb the fence but i was in this thing i could see the moon through the through the through the the fencing at the top and i could see the stars and I'm panicking around this room i'm trying to climb up it and the old bill are in there and they're trying to corner me and, and calm me down and 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 all stuff like this and I, it was it was, hor- it was horrendous it was a horrendous feeling so you must calm down steve it's okay what do you want to do it's water like they were caring enough as it was i guess but i think they were getting quite impatient as well um because they're not really the mental health service are they they're the police force so this was whilst i was waiting for um a psychiatrist to come and attend to assess me so that the, the psychiatrist had been woken up in uh, in like two or three o'clock in the morning, and I was uh, I was assessed, and I was assessed in a in a in an interview room, surrounded by um, people who had gotten to know me over the years from the police force. From I think there was one paramedic in there, maybe can't remember, can't remember, but I think there was one paramedic, um, a custody sergeant, and a policeman who I had um, grown to. <laughs> he would attend my house several times. So he knew me quite well. Psychiatrist was there. And um, I think I probably had an appropriate adult, to be honest. I think that was there. So appropriate adult, if you don't know what appropriate adult is, is that they're there to be your uh, your, your best wishes at heart kind of thing. They're there for you to safeguard you. Um, they don't belong to the police. They don't belong to the psychiatry kind of place. Um, but yeah, so they had this appropriate adult there for me. Um, and we talked and talked and talked and talked and talked until they said, yeah, well, I think you need to, you need to go into 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 like this into hospital and i was like well, what does that mean you know are you locking me away no 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 you're not getting locked away you're just going into into hospital i said under 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 section oh i can't remember i think it's under section two so section uh, one three six is the power that the police have to take you into custody quote unquote but then i think it's section two where the mental under the mental health act that they can take you in i oh, don't quote me on that it might be another section but section two where they take you in and i think i was in there i think they can hold you up to a maximum of 72 hours before um they make a diagnosis or before they have to move you on or or something like that i to be honest i can't quite remember what my situation was but they just wanted to get me off the streets out of the house and in into hospital so they did they took me in psychiatrist was there and he suggested strongly that you need to go into hospital there's no way you're going home tonight 
And I can remember feeling quite panicked about that. Like, what do you mean I can't go home? Like, this is my home. What's going to happen to me now? This feeling and this thought that I was kind of like being taken um, under my wheel. Without, you know, without my... Um, I didn't want to go. But I didn't have a choice. I don't want to go to a hospital. Um, I'm not arrested. But I can't go home. But it's not a normal hospital. So it's a hospital for people suffering from a mental health condition something shit what has actually become of me how and why and what is wound me up in this position i'm sat in this room full of the, full of these people saying that i can't go home i'm not arrested i'm not going to prison but i can't go home and i've got to go to this hospital quite confusing so we went to hospital. It was a fairly, fairly local place, fairly new place, from what I remember. And there we were met with um, with some night staff, um, and then we waited for what seemed like an inter- an eternity, waiting for something to happen. I can't remember. I can't remember what. Just waiting. And I wanted a fag cigarette. So I wanted a cigarette, I wanted to drink, I wanted something, I wanted something to take my mind off, I wanted some mind-altering substance, okay? I wasn't allowed. And I actually couldn't remember saying to the police officers who were standing there waiting, I said, what would happen if I run across the, just run away, run across there and have a fag? What would happen if I, if I, um, if I, if I push, push past you, smash the window, go out? He said, well, well, then we'd arrest you for criminal damage. And I said, yeah, but I don't want to be here. I just want a cigarette. Can I just, can I just go over there? Can you just stand there? And I can remember pleading and pleading and pleading with this officer to let me go and have a cigarette. I said, look, I just want a cigarette. Um, I mean, I'm addicted to class A drugs and I'm an alcoholic at this point. I, I really wouldn't think a cigarette would actually have done me that, all that, all that harm. Actually, it probably would have served me quite well to actually calm me the fuck down just to have a bit of nicotine in my system. Anyway, so I wasn't allowed to have that. Then that was, that was kind of fine. I kind of got over, kind of got over that. Because the waiting stopped and then I went through the tiniest of tiniest tours. Because bearing in mind, this is getting on for like three o'clock in the morning now. The tiniest of tiniest of, of what? And then we saw the, I saw the cafeteria. I saw this hallway, the main office and then my room. Oh my God. Worst room ever. Worst room ever. So, uh, yes, there was a camera in the, I believe there was a camera in the room. But the thing I remember the most is that the loo was uh it was open it was like it was like in the middle of my room does that make sense so that not physically in the middle of the uh, middle of the room but it was it was on the back of the wall but it was there was no partition there was no there was no privacy or anything so if i'm going i don't want to really lower the tone here and i don't want to go into too much detail i think you can use your imaginations if you want to but when you go into the loo and somebody walks past, they could just see you. Um, I, I guess looking back, I guess it was for my own safety so I couldn't hide anywhere and, and harm myself or do anything that they weren't aware of. But I found that a real, real, I found that really hard. And I, um, well, I t- again, not to go into too much detail, I, I held, I held, I held it all in. I just held it all in and I made a ugh, terrible stomach ache, terrible stomach ache because I just refused to go where somebody um could potentially kind of watch me or see me and um i don't don't feel like the night staff were all that patient or all that understanding 
Um, whether it was just a job to them, I don't know. But it wasn't a very nice feeling. In fact, it was a horrendous feeling. And I, I, I started to sleep with my shoes on. In fact, I, I did that as a child, sleeping with my shoes on. And then I stopped the habit for a little while in my adolescent sort of years. Um, and then I started up again when I um, when I found myself in this hospital sleeping with my shoes on. And I think the idea was that if I needed to act or fight or run, um, I was kind of, at least I had my shoes on kind of thing. So if I needed to climb a fence, you know, I wouldn't cut my feet up. Or if I needed to run efficiently, I wouldn't hurt myself, that sort of thing. So I started sleeping my shoes on. And they didn't like that. So you take your shoes off, you know, you've got to take your shoes off. And I didn't like that. So I just didn't sleep. I just, I just didn't. I was suffering from on and off insomnia anyway at this point um but the following morning i kind of got out i picked up the courage to come kind of come out my room and i can remember just knocking about the hallways for a bit and um i've had a nice um secluded kind of end of the hallway where it wasn't away from the hustle and bustle and i would just sit on the floor and kind of and kind of focus on keeping the clock at bay you know because i'm now starting to withdraw now you know, it's been kind of like maybe, oh, I don't know, five, between five and ten hours since I last had a hit. So it's not going to be long until I start feeling a bit ill because I'm going to need to need need to need to take something. Um, they wanted to give me medication and I refused the medication. Um, it was things like uh, like a uh, although I quite liked the antipsychotics, I, I kind of I, I was in a place where I didn't trust anything or anyone. So no matter what pills they gave me, if they said that they were the best ecstasy going, I still wouldn't take it. Um, so I refused pretty much all my meds and I was starting to get a little bit poorly. I was starting to get a little bit ill. Managed to stay hydrated though because they just pump you full of fluids. So that's that was good. I didn't eat anything. I just I just didn't I wasn't eating anything anyway. Um, so just because I was in, in this facility doesn't mean I was going to have the best appetite going. Uh, I met a bloke in there, and we would do we would do puzzles together. Um, I think he would. I think we were both. I think we're two peas in a pod. Actually, uh, it must have been quite funny watching us, really, because I, I I was sort of arguing with the voices in my head and kind of shouting out, and and he was doing the same, and we didn't know whether we were talking to each other or or the voices on our head. But we sat there and we did this puzzle. I don't think we ever completed a puzzle. I think it was just something just to take our mind off things. Um, but we couldn't sit down. I couldn't sit down for any. I couldn't sit down for any length of time because of the thing with my stomach. You know, I haven't been to the loo now for ages, um, and I would just wander. I would just wander around this hospital, um, and there was sort of staff and porters whatnot knocking about as well, and they'd kind of keep a uh keep an eye on us um all of us whilst we were there and then there was a few temper tantrums a few few i say temper tantrums i don't want to be disrespectful and belittle what what other people were going through but there was a few times where it would get a little bit angsty in there and things would kick off and things would go across the room you know and, and i was like oh christ what on earth is this all about um so it wasn't it wasn't a pleasant experience i didn't particularly feel safe in there either uh, they the follow that that evening we we did actually have um, uh, somebody pass over a few bottles of uh, vodka um, into this little into this little complex. I don't know how they managed to do it, and I hope, I don't know how they didn't get caught. Um, but we all kind of yeah we while we were outside in this little courtyard type area, 
when we at this point we were allowed to smoke and whatnot so we were smoking honestly i started up chain smoking because it's just just the nicotine just wasn't enough i needed some heroin i needed some cocaine and i definitely needed a drink needed some form of alcohol in my system at this point so i i joined in i joined in with this alcohol knowing full well that it was kind of like it was forbidden but look i didn't i didn't particularly want to be there um i needed a drink so i i joined in i had a drink and oh god that was the best drink i can i can remember it was the best drink i had for such a long time i think i necked about half a bottle of vodka just in in one hit and that was that was me i now knew that i was good for for maybe another oh god 20 hours or so um that was just enough just to stop me going into full withdrawal um, and that was just enough, just that I was just a, a small amount, just enough to let me not sort of be pissed out my tree, falling about everywhere. Um, I'd say the, the whole alcoholism thing is because you're never really drunk, but you're never really sober either. It's just topping up and it's just maintaining that level of um, of keeping the keeping the withdrawal at bay. That's all it is. But I remember that that went down like that went down like oh, smooth as butter vodka call the idea now of necking half a bottle glugging it i'm talking about glugging it like you would water the idea of doing that now with something uh, neat like vodka it just it kind of it doesn't turn my stomach but it's just fuck i was in a right mess i was ser- i was really fucking knee deep in, in in that um so that made me feel better but we were running out of options they couldn't keep me in for much longer um, couldn't get a diagnosis. Nobody knew what we were, what I was really on about. I think the, I think the, the closest diagnosis we got was uh, cocaine induced psychosis. I don't know whether that's a thing now. I don't even know whether it was a thing then. Um, but I had developed a split personality disorder. I can remember somebody um, uh, saying, uh, in fact, the same psychiatrist who who met me at the police station that morning. Uh, he came back in again maybe a day or so, let's like say, day or so later. Uh, and he suggested that I'd have, I have got a borderline personality disorder. Um, but then he also suggested that it was a cocaine-induced psychosis. Basically, I took so many drugs that I was, my, I was fucked. I just scrambled my brains and I was just off my tree or out my tree all, all the time. But there were some other issues there. There were some some uh, some multiple suicide attempts so there's a huge amount of depression there and then there was this anxiety disorder this panic attack disorder that was all linked to my uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder um and to think that i was what was i i must have been 22 23 at this point um this had all gone relatively unrecognized for over 10 years it was there it was there, just on the, just just below the surface. But then, when I don't want to confuse you with the timeline, because I'm I, I have been writing my biography, and I don't know. <laughs> you don't, I'm gonna say I don't know what you've read up to yet. You haven't read any of it yet because I haven't published it yet. But at this point in the timeline, I I had I had lost my job, and I was living alone. And I had this house and I had this mortgage and every piece of uh, every money that I was earning through crime was basically going into my system in the form of drugs or alcohol. And the rest was, um, well, that was it. It was drugs or alcohol. Uh, so 
being diagnosed with these things and being being in in a hospital was well it was dreadful it felt so limiting and it felt so demeaning and absolute like this is my life this is what i've become no matter what dream i had no matter what ideas i wanted to bring into the universe and into the world in forms of anything sport music business job i had fucked my life and that was it because of a limiting belief i had when i was a child that once you go into hospital that is it your life is over you'll never be able to get over the stigmatism of being sectioned um and you know what that couldn't be further from the truth it has it has fueled me to do some really amazing things with my life i am now over 10 years clean and sober i haven't been on any mind-altering substances for over that i'm talking about antidepressants antipsychotics um any form of medication and i am now in a position where i help hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people all around the world um with my with my coaching i'm in a better position to talk and listen to friends because i've developed more as a as a mature human being Uh, and i've 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 really achieved some quite amazing things all with the past of being in hospital in a mental hospital you know a mental health hospital it hasn't stopped me it hasn't held me back and do you know what i haven't told anyone nobody well apart from you lot i know that but i i i I haven't, when I'm meeting people, meeting friends for the first time, when I met my wife for the first time, I didn't go, oh, by the way, you know, I've got this stigmatism. I have this and I I have that. And this is my experiences. None of it. None of it whatsoever. It did have an impact on me coming back out of hospital. And I thought, well, how, who am I supposed to be now? How am I supposed to behave? I've been in a, in a, in a mental institute, I, I've, I've been like, it's like Shutter Island. It's like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's like all of these other films and movies and books and stories you hear about hospitals. I have actually been in that position now. But it's nothing like that. And people who know, I don't think they really understand. I don't think they really understand what it's what the, what the, these facilities are like because they've never been in them. I'm not going to hold that against them. It's like um, uh, I've never been to India. Okay, so I don't know what India's like. I don't know what the culture's like. That's just a really random example. So I'm not going to hold somebody back or hold somebody down or hold somebody and persecute somebody for not understanding. You don't know, man. You weren't there kind of thing. Um, they. Do, it's just, it's another world. It's another, it's another world. And I, I kind of, a part of me, I kind of feel quite lucky to be, to have had that experience um in a kind of a, a morbid kind of way looking back it was uh, the system is absolutely fascinating um absolutely fascinating but also just horrendous absolutely horrendous being being sectioned with an addiction is being sectioned full stop being taken in because you're 
you're so poorly, you're so ill, you're so mentally disturbed that you can't that, that your your life's not your own. You're not you, you're not making good life decisions. We're taking you in, kind of thing. What a horrendous position to be in. But that was my take on things. That was my experience on things, of uh, of going through of going through that. I have heard actually that that hospital that I went to has actually has actually shut. It's closed now. I think it's been turned into. Uh, I think it's had a bit of a renovation, and I think it's been turned into a residential home. Don't know. Don't know that for sure. Um, but I think my visit there probably did save my life. I think it was some respite for the damage I was doing to my body, both mentally and physically. And I think that it was it got me on the radar of the mental health services. From this, uh, the ball started rolling in the right direction for rehab. Um, I became more aware of services um, in the area that I could access for my mental health. But more importantly, they knew about me. How are they supposed to help and support me if they don't even know I exist? You can't fault them for that. You can't fault them for not knowing that I exist. It was only when I got sectioned that they realised who I was, where I was, that I had these problems. And I've met some... I really wish I could I could give him a shout out in some of the in some of these episodes but it would just it would be it wouldn't be right confidential reasons but I've met some amazing people who have worked with me with such patience such acceptance such love and they don't even know me no matter how bad I feel about myself they just love acceptance and patience um, and I, th- I really do believe that those few nights that I spent, I did re- I did visit, I did visit hospital again for a longer time, uh, a few months later. But I think that first experience was, was the biggest one for me. It was only a few days. It was only a few days. Once I went in, uh, I went in again, which I'm not going. I'm not now's not the time to go into it. I went in for about a week th- the second time. But the first time, that was the toughest one. That was the toughest one. My addiction was at an all-time high. My depression and self-esteem was at an all-time low. Um, but I'm very grateful for my experiences. I really am very grateful for for having been through that process. Fascinating. Um, so in a nutshell, that that's, that's it. That is my, in a really brief, what we've done, 26 minutes of my experience of being sectioned to being in an, being in a hospital um i do sometimes hear people mention it in a derogatory way about being sectioned about uh, mental health and about being in a hospital and whatnot but it doesn't affect me anymore um I, it's just another part of my life that people don't know about People talk about um, rape as well people talk about drug addiction there's all sorts of things that are mentioned uh, and it's just another thing that is just it's just it's just mine it's my 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 experiences um i'm in a place now where it just doesn't i don't let it affect me people are quite mean quite rude quite derogatory about mental health still now can't believe it 2023 we're still looking down at people who have suffered with mental health uh conditions well that's you um I hope you found this helpful. 
It has been straight off off the top of my head. I, I haven't taken any notes for this. I haven't particularly planned the direction for this episode. I just hope that it was helpful, no matter who you are, no matter what walk of life you are, um, from I'm doing big, amazing things now. And that, that was my experience of being sectioned, being in an, in a hospital environment because I'd fucked my brain up, my mind up so much and I'd neglected my mental health so much that that's where I found myself. I now own several companies, some of them staffed. I'm now a coach and I'm helping people all around the world get through some tough times in their lives or to grow themselves and to evolve themselves into the person that they've always dreamt of being and I'm very very grateful for my life experience and I'm very grateful for all the therapists I've spoken to I'm grateful for the NHS grateful for the the volunteers the psychiatrists all of them all of them I think we just need a little bit more love in the world sometimes and a bit more understanding and patience anyway sound a bit of a hippie now but that's 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 how I feel well that's a wrap until next time, do, do take care of yourselves and cheerio.